Hey everyone and welcome to Games Are Fun, the weekly video game podcast show that talks about video game news, stories, highlights from the past week. My name is Luke Armstrong, I'm your host. Welcome to another episode of Gaff. This is uh, an interesting episode. We got a bunch of different stories that happened this past week that I have been very excited to talk to you guys about. Uh, The first story I'm going to be talking about today is Nintendo Switch Online. The service launched last week. Uh, Actually, I believe it went up the evening of my last episode. So um, I got the service right at launch. So I gathered my impressions on is it worth your 20 bucks to spend? Should you wait? Uh, Should you jump in right now? Or is it not worth the investment at all? I give you guys what I think about that. Uh, The PlayStation 1 Classic was announced last week. That was really, really cool news. I have lots of thoughts and opinions on that, so I'm going to be doing an overview of what that console looks like as well as what I think about it because I got some I got some personal opinions. I got some beefs with it. There's a lot of things I like, but I do have some beefs with it, some big, meaty beefs that I want to talk about. Um, and then some unfortunate news, uh, some sad news. Telltale Games, the studio behind the Walking Dead series, uh, that's probably their most notable franchise has closed Uh, so really sad story from there Uh, sad for the employees because uh, a lot of employees were laid off because of it so I have a big article from Kotaku that talks about um, some of the 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 issues uh, with the the closure of that specifically how the employees were treated how they found out that they had just lost their jobs. Not the funnest thing to talk about, but I am going to be talking about because that's something really important to be talking about right now in the gaming industry. And lastly, there was a new Death Stranding trailer um, because <laughs> I I don't want to end on a sad note. I'll talk about that. Uh, I was going to leave the Telltale story till the very end of the show, but then we'd just be left with a pretty sour taste in our mouth because um, it is not good news. It's it's bad news. Um, so I thought I would finish the show with that. Um, actually, also, there is Tokyo Game Show just wrapped, and there were a bunch of announcements, but there was one in particular that is near and dear to me that I wanted to talk about on the show right away. And then that's it. That's what the episode is this week. If you like the show, make sure you comment, subscribe to whatever platform you are on. Make sure you like the video. Of course, Gaff is available on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, and SoundCloud. If you listen to it on one service, maybe try going over to another service and uh, subscribing on there as well. Every little bit of support really helps. The podcast has been gaining traction in the last couple of weeks, and I really appreciate everyone that has taken the time to support and reach out to me and provide very nice words with what they think of the podcast. So thank you very much to everyone who's done that as always. So Let's get into housekeeping for this episode. Um, there, I kind of mentioned this on the last week's episode, but unfortunately, I was a dummy and I didn't talk about it at the beginning of the show. It was at the very end. And if you caught last week's episode, it was like over an hour long. So I'm sure the message got dropped off um, because I'm sure there were some of you that didn't listen to the full episode, which is fine. But uh, there was an announcement there that I have a, a Discord server. Uh, basically, for those who don't know, Discord is basically um, an application that allows you to create servers specific to like. I, I, basically, it's like a channel or a group that you can create different forum pages under. So, 
Um, my server has the, uh, a form directly related to just general chat. I have one related to podcasts. I have re one related to my live streams. Um, so if you're not familiar, like I, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I've heard of Discord, but I never actually knew what it was until I started watching lots of different streamers. And I'm like, this is a platform that people are using to interact with their listeners and their um, the people coming in and tuning into their streams. So I should get on that because I think that's a really good idea. So I don't basically uh, go over to my Facebook page, Games Are Fun. And the, if you scroll down far enough, it was uh, posted last week sometime. There is an invite link for my Discord server and you can hop on there and join the server. That's where I'm gonna be posting all updates related to the podcast. Um, from time to time, I'm gonna use that as a platform to ask you guys daily questions or what your thoughts are about certain things going on in the industry. And it's also a great way for me to let you guys know when I'm gonna be live streaming either on Twitch or Mixer. And that's gonna be my segue to the next housekeeping thing. I'm continuing with the live stream on Twitch. Uh, last week, I streamed uh, Fortnite with you guys. Uh, well, specifically my nephew for sure. Um, he was part of the September's Games Are Fun community Let's Play. He showed the most interest in giving the suggestion for the month. And so we live streamed Fortnite over on twitch.tv slash Games Are Fun podcast. And that was this month's community Let's Play game. For October, I was hoping to get something spooky. It's like the, the spooky spooky month of the year. And so um, for October's Community Let's Play, I'm hoping for some sort of online game that I can stream um, and play with you guys. I, don't, I can't really think of too many scary or spooky games. There's Dead by Daylight, which was a free PlayStation Plus game a little while ago. So if some of you have that, that would be really fun to play. Whatever, just send me suggestions. It doesn't have to be horror or, or spooky themed, but I, it's just a thought. I'm definitely gonna be streaming some horror games through the month of October. For those of you who don't know, I'm a huge, huge horror fan. I love scary movies. I love scary video games. And October, I like to devote the whole month to everything spooky. Um, <laughs> a couple years ago, I actually did this thing called the 31 Days of Horror, where every day in October, I watched a scary movie. So from October 1st to October 31st, I watched one scary movie a day. You can definitely bet by the last week of October, I was pretty burned out. I actually cheated a little bit. I didn't watch full feature length films. I was watching some short films, uh, some like horror short films that I found online, which still still film, uh, just not as long. But yeah, I, uh, I got desensitized for sure with the amount of gore that I watched over the duration of the month. So I don't want to do that again, but I definitely do watch as much scary movies and play as many scary horror games I can in the month of October. Cause I just, it's Halloween's my favorite like holiday of the year. I loved it as a kid. I still love it. And I love watching scary movies. And uh, yeah, so over on Twitch, I'm gonna be streaming, I'm probably gonna be streaming The Evil Within 2. I got that last October and probably like halfway through the game, I would say. Actually, probably more than that, like three quarters-ish. Never completed it. I wanna go back to that and play through that. I'm definitely gonna be pulling up some Resident Evil. I probably Resident Evil 7, maybe the original Resident Evil, definitely Resident Evil 4 on GameCube I'm bringing up. And 
yeah, maybe some other horror games as well. But you can expect that come October, there's going to be some spooky, spooky stuff happening. Um, so that's what I wanted to plug for Twitch. Uh, if you haven't already done so, go over there, follow me. Make sure you put on alerts so that you know when I'm going live. Having you guys watch the stream and interacting with you guys is really fun. And I really have a good time with that. So uh, if you also want to go over to my Facebook page, I have a poll up there. I think it has probably four days left. And it is a poll in relation to what game I should stream next. What retro game at least I should stream next. So it's down to Diddy Kong Racing as well as, uh, what's the other one? GoldenEye. Yeah, so those are that, there's a poll going on there right now. Go over to Facebook. You can vote on which one. Let me see. What do we got? We have... So far, Diddy Kong Racing is 64% and GoldenEye is 36%. So if you want to see me stream GoldenEye in the next couple weeks, go over to Facebook and vote for GoldenEye. There's currently 14 votes on there. Um, the poll ends in three days. So get over there and vote if you're interested in that. And that's housekeeping. That's what's happening. One other note, I highlighted this last week's episode. There was uh, uh, a... Okay, take a break, Luke. Refresh your mind. (laughs) I I try to do these podcasts in one take, but a lot of times there's flubs like this. And you know what? I'm leaving it in just for you guys. You get to see what happens behind the scenes. Um, Over on last week's episode... I mentioned that I am planning to have a guest feature on my podcast in the coming weeks. Um, I don't want to give anything away yet. It's really exciting. So uh, stay tuned for more information on that. Once we, I, I will make the announcement when we have the set date of when that podcast is going live. But I just want to tease it for all you guys who might be interested in that. Um, I know that listening to me talk every week for like an hour on end about video games can be a little repetitive for some people. So I want to try to take the podcast in new directions. This is something I wanted to do from the beginning is have guests on the show. But um, there isn't a lot of people in my area that I know personally that I could get on the show. So I'm reaching out to those people that live uh, in other places in the world. And so... Um, if you have any suggestions, this is another little plug. If you have any suggestions of people that I should reach out to that may be interested in doing an interview or doing an episode of the podcast, let me know on that. And with that being said, let's get into the news. So last week was kind of a interesting week in video games. Um, I actually played quite a quite a bit of games last week. I played a lot of Spider-Man still. I'm about like 75% done that game. I, I'm basically done every side mission, everything uh, that I'm allowed to do. And as new side missions and other collectible things pop up, I've been doing those right away. So my plan is to have that platinum trophy like as soon as I can when I finish the game. So I've been doing that. But uh, another thing that I've been doing is playing... Uh, with my Switch a little bit more because the Nintendo Switch online service launched last week. So last week's episode, I talked a bit about it because we got lots of details at the last Nintendo Direct that talked about what Nintendo Switch online has to offer. So basically it is a paid subscription. You can pay 
first of all, there's a seven day free trial for those who want to just check it out and see what it's all about. And then I think it's like, the, and this is going to be US prices, of course, just basically add 25 to 30% on top of it. And that's what you're paying Canadian there. It's like four bucks per month, I want to say, or three bucks per month. And then it's like eight bucks for three months. And then it is $20 for a whole year. So obviously just buy the full year. That's the cheapest option. And you get the service for a full year. There's also a family plan where you can have up to eight accounts under the the subscription for $35 a year. So that's another way of doing it. Uh, I think it's great for like families who, well, that's why they call it the family plan. But no, I think it's great for like um, parents who are gamers or whatever and have a switch and maybe their kid has a switch and uh, then they can just pay for one service and it's available so their kids can play, you know, Splatoon 2 or Mario Kart online without issue. So I got the 20 year, 20 year, I got the one year $20 subscription. I think it was like 25 bucks Canadian. And basically what that offers is you get to play online games, which is something that I don't do really on my Switch. So that doesn't really affect me right now. So that's one thing you get access to 20 NES classic games. So games from Super Mario Brothers to The Legend of Zelda to Excite Bike to River City Ransom. There's 20 games on there. You can go check them out online to see the full list. And there's three games coming out in October, three games coming out in November, as well as three games coming out in December. So the library is going to increase by nine games by the end of the year so you're gonna have 29 games to end the year off um and they're all nes games currently i think they have plans in the future to do super nes games but there is no current plan uh in place for that as far as we know um well i'm sure there's a plan in place at nintendo where they are constantly developing what the next thing that's coming out for their services but there is no official like announcement is what i'm trying to say so you get that you get cloud saves so you can back up your save data to the cloud i know it's kind of one of those things that like that's a why that's the selling point for a lot of people because there have been horror stories of people who have put 100 hours into legend of zelda breath of the wild or super mario odyssey and they're switch just it's it gets toast and they gotta send it in for repair and they're for whatever reason the save data basically saves onto doesn't save onto the cartridge it saves onto the system you can't even get an sd card to save your files onto so basically you lose all progress on those games so with cloud saves that's great because then you can back up all your save data and for whatever reason if you lost you had to replace your switch you can just re-upload those backup saves from the cloud you know it, it's a great thing it's a, the cloud saves have been around for uh, a long time now um, it's surprising that we're finally getting them and it kind of sucks that it's only offered to paid subscribers but I get it that's another pushing point to sell their service so makes sense but that's that and then that's basically it. They have uh, some special announce or special offers for Nintendo Switch Online subscribers, but they haven't really announced anything like that. They've just said there will be future, you know, special announcements. Um, so stay tuned for that. So what are my thoughts and impressions of it? Well, 
there's nothing like the backup saves. I think all I can say about that, yeah, that's great. Um, I'm glad to know that Super Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild are backed up now. I that was the first thing I did when I I signed up for the service, so that's good to know. But other than that, all I've explored are the NES games. And so for somebody who doesn't have an NES Classic that was released a couple years ago. This is great. I have access to play some of these games, but that being said, I get why a lot of people are frustrated over it. Um, there's a lot of people that did buy the NES Classic, and the NES Classic, a lot of the games on that Classic are also part of this service, so you're kind of double dipping there. Not to mention that things like the Wii Virtual Console, a lot of people bought some of those retro NES, SNES, and even Nintendo 64 games and played them on their Wii. A lot of these games are also on already on 3DS or other Nintendo platforms that you can play them on. So it's not really anything special. But for me, I fit into that target audience that who has not who has no access to these games currently with all my platforms, right? I have lots of consoles. Um, you know, sure if I went online I could emulate uh, find an emulator and, and run some ROMs, but that I, I like to, I like to refrain from that um, for obvious reasons, and so yeah, basically, I like it. I mean, the the service is cool. It's basically like it, it shows up on your Switch main screen like it's a game. You click on it, and then you have your twenty games to play, and it has save states, so you can basically I can play Zelda, and when I get to a certain part on the map, I can save the game. And say if I die rather than starting back at the beginning or whatever, you can just reload that save state, which is really great because, I, you know, games back then are hard, dude. Like, they're so hard. I am just like, I'm not great at retro games uh, because of the, the difficulty curve that comes with them. Um, like when Crash Bandicoot, for example, when that released, people were like, talking about how hard it was myself included i'm like this is a hard ass game like what the hell dude and then they uh all these other people are like oh well today's generation doesn't know how to play hard games and they just need to get good and i'm like you know what dude these get no you can't deny it. these games are hard man and like i'm playing super mario brothers and i'm just you know you only got three lives dude I need those save states because I'm not going to be able to get through all the worlds. Like, I know you can collect more lives, but it's just like, I can't get to that point without uh, being able to, you know, start back over from a point that's a little further down the line rather than going back to the beginning of the game. So that I really, I really like. Um, and that's not something new. Save states, uh, this isn't like the first time we've ever seen them, but... I, I really like them. Um, they come in handy and make playing the games really good. So, with all that said, my impressions of it is, well, let's ask the, the question, should you buy it if you have a Nintendo Switch? So, the questions you got to ask yourself is, do I play online games? Am I playing Splatoon 2 online? Am I playing Mario Kart? Um, am I playing, I don't know, I can't think of any others, but you get the, the gist of it. Are you playing online games? Yes, you are. Okay, you need the service. There's not that's should you should your answer should be questioned or your your question should be questioned. Your 
question should be answered right there. You can't play online games without the service. So if you play online games, that's your that's your thing. Yeah, you're you're getting the service. If you're like me and you don't play online games on your Switch, you kind of leave online games for your Xbox or your PlayStation. Do you need it? Well, here's where I think you can go either way. So the next question you got to ask yourself is, I don't play online games, but am I wanting a collection of old NES games or a service that will probably add future games like SNES games, possibly even Nintendo 64 games, and I'm even going to reach because I'm crazy and offer GameCube games? It's possible. But does that interest you? If the answer is yes to that, then you need to get the service. Think of like how much these games are. Sure, you could probably buy uh, some of these retro games on other consoles or whatever for quite cheap. But I mean, 20 bucks for the whole year and you already get, it's like a dollar a game, essentially. Not to mention that we are getting future games. So that's like a, that was the selling point for me. The third is, our backup save data, is that something that's really important to you? If the answer is yes, go get it. The other question that you should ask yourself is, okay, I don't play online games now, but am I going to be playing them within the next year? And I asked myself that, and you know, with Super Smash Brothers coming, that's definitely a game that I'm going to be playing online, right? So, you know, it just, it makes sense to make the investment right away. It's only 25 bucks for me. Um... I think it's worth it, right? You sure you're not getting as much from the service as what PlayStation Plus or Xbox Gold membership offers, but I mean, that that's what you get what you pay for, right? Twenty bucks isn't isn't much, so you're not going to get as many things as some of those more expensive subscription service offers. So. I just wanted to take the time to give my thoughts and impressions on that because I still see on a lot of forums, on Reddit, and on Facebook, of people not getting behind the Nintendo. So just ask yourself that question and if those questions, and if you answer no to all those, then okay, skip it. You don't need it, dude. Um, Nintendo's definitely going to tweak this service in the future. I don't think it, it will include just these services for the rest of the Nintendo Switch's lifetime. They're going to add lots of stuff. So, I mean, just do you want to jump on the board now or wait it out? So, I know that not a lot of my listeners have Nintendo, uh, a Nintendo Switch, but I just wanted to give my impressions on that, and that is that. So, let's move on to the next story since I bored you guys probably with all that Nintendo Switch talk. And let's talk about, on the other side, the PlayStation Classic Mini has been announced. So I'm pulling this article over from GameSpot. My boy Eddie McCuck, McCooch, <laughs> that can't be right. Uh, Eddie, Eddie has the article that I'm reading from. So with Nintendo enjoying great success in the field, Sony has announced its own mini classic console. The company, the company has announced the PlayStation Classic, a mini version of the original PlayStation. It comes with 20 generation-defining games and it launches in December. It's available for pre-order now. A complete list of games has not yet been announced so far. Um, the PlayStation blog has only confirmed five titles. Final Fantasy 7, Jumping Flash, 
Ridge Racer Type 4, Tekken 3, and Wild Arms. There's no indication of what genre or companies will be re represented by the remaining 15. PlayStation Classic arrives on December 3rd, and that's a notable date. It's the day that the original PlayStation launched in 1994. The mini version is 45% smaller than the original PlayStation, and as you can see in the video, blah blah blah, it, it captures the look of blah blah blah. So you obviously can't see that because you're listening to this, but it is it's identical to what the original PlayStation looked like. It's just really small. Like it could fit in the palm of your hand probably. Um, it's really cool because the open to open the disk drive on the PlayStation, the button uh, is still there on this PlayStation Classic Mini. You press it and it actually cycles like a virtual disk so it, it would cycle to the next game or whatever. So that's cool. Um, obviously you have your power button. Um, it comes with an HDMI cable, a USB cable to power it. The AC adapter is sold separately and two controllers. Um, and the system costs $100 US, $130 Canadian and 9,980 yen. You can pre-order it now. It's no surprise that Sony is getting into the classic category of plug-and-play mini retro consoles. Nintendo is currently dominating the market, and overall sales of plug-and-play consoles are up 400% year-to-date in the U.S. With Nintendo leading the way with its NES and SNES classic devices, Sony wants a piece of the category. In other retro news, Sega today announced that its own Sega Genesis Mini has been delayed from 2018 to 2019. So that's the story over from GameSpot. A couple things that they didn't talk about in the article. The two controllers that are included with this PlayStation Classic are the original PlayStation controllers, meaning that they do not have the dual analog sticks. It's just the D-pad and it's just your X squared triangle and circle. That's it. So... Some of those games like Ape Escape that actually required you required an analog controller are not going to be playable, um, are, are definitely not going to be on this, right? There's other games that were optimized for controllers with dual analog sticks, right? That were developed after those controllers were released. And so those games still have a possibility of making it onto the PlayStation Classic, but... Um, it's definitely not going to be as fun to play them without those dual analog sticks. So what do I think of all of this? As I teased at the top of the show, I got some major beef here. First of all, let me say, shout out to Coleman Dean who actually sent me the, the link to this. He gets full credit of um, relaying the story to me. I actually woke up, saw Coleman Dean, messaged me, pulled it up, watched the trailer. So thanks Coleman for getting me that uh right off the bat when it was announced i really appreciate that so let me just say i watched the announcement video and i i gotta say i was like this is dope this is awesome um i never owned a playstation one i had a ps2 i had a select few of playstation one games but there were a lot of playstation one games that i never got to experience because of that so i'm thinking all the major awesome playstation one games are going to be av available on this console and i'm going to get a chance to play it but then I started looking at the logistics of everything. So let's first start with the price. $130 Canadian. That is a lot of money to pay for a console that just has 20 games. When you think about it, for example, Final Fantasy VII is going to be on this. If you... So there, let, let me just start off by saying... There's two ways of looking at this price. 
one, you can think $130, that's a lot of money to play. The other way you can look at it is, as I was going, Final, Final, Final Fantasy VII is one of the 20 games. Final Fantasy VII, you can pick up on your PlayStation 4. You can actually buy it on your Switch. It's coming to Switch next year. You can buy that game, but it's going to probably cost you 10 to 15 bucks, somewhere in there. And so when you add up and times that by 20, you're actually getting a bit of a discount, right? If you bought all the games some, somewhere, you're going to be paying more. Let's say you own a PlayStation 1 and there you have some of the games on the list, but there's some games that are offered that you basically argue, okay, well, let me just go buy an original version of that game on disc. You go up on eBay. You're probably looking at spending, depending on the rarity of the game and the title, you know, you could be spending 10 bucks, you could be spending 50 bucks, you could be spending 80, 80 bucks. Um, just on one game. So when you think about it, 130 bucks, it's a lot of money, but you are getting 20 games with it. So my my beef is the fact that I wish it was a little cheaper. I wish I was paying $100 Canadian and it was, you know, 80 bucks or 75 bucks US. I think that is more realistic for what has to offer, but obviously these things are expensive to make. So I get, um, I get the fact, but I do have a beef with the price just you know, having to pull out that money and pay for it all at once kind of sucks, right? So I'm contemplating whether getting it or not because of that price point. The other issue I have is the controllers. So as I was talking before, they don't have the DualShock analog, uh, dual analog controllers. They got the crappy D-pad PlayStation controllers. And I mean, if you're an old school gamer and that's your jam, that's cool, but Let's be honest, in the 3D generation of gaming with PlayStation and the Nintendo 64 and the Dreamcast, like you need that analog stick in order to play a lot of these 3D games. Um, playing a 3D game with a D-pad, I mean, the D-pad is as two-dimensional as it gets, right? The analog sticks allow you to have that mobility of moving around in a 3D environment. So I'm kind of bummed at that, but... What can I say? Um, maybe uh, I'm thinking that they release in the future a dual analog stick controller that you can buy additionally. I think that's a good business uh, business idea because then you are selling this console for you know 100 bucks, then you charge 50 bucks for the controller later down the line. You know everybody wants that controller, and you could be making some money that way. So, I mean. Not the not the best in my opinion, but what can you do? Um, the other beef I have with this is why don't you freaking announce the 20 games, right? We're in September, and I, like before I get any people commenting on this, like I get the fact that sure there could be they're still trying to work out some licensing deals with some of these third party companies that are wanting to get their games on this this platform, but I mean. It's, it, you should give us more than what you gave us, right? Five games announced. Um, I, I was hoping for a little more on the initial, like when the SNES and the NES were announced, they're like, bam, here you go. Here's the games. So if that was the case, just, you know, delay the announcement a bit, right? If you're waiting for those deals to come through, you're not sure. Maybe you have 17 games and there's three still that you're trying to 
figure out if they're going to be on there or not, just wait it out a little bit, right? Like uh, you've already, you must be pretty far along with the, with the process because you have a set date for release. So, I mean, um, yeah, I, I just was hoping that we'd get the list, but maybe I'm just being selfish. I don't know. What else? What was the other point? I, it popped in my head and now it's gone. Let me think here. Do, 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 do. Let me read this article to see if it comes back in. I guess, yeah, the other point is I wish that these consoles, the classic, I mean the SNES Mini uh, or Classic and the NES Classic both have this where you can't add games to it. And so people have hacked these classic consoles so that you can add a whole bunch, like however many games you want. And of course, people are going to be doing this with the PlayStation Classic. But I just wish that they they allowed us to do that. They put a Wi-Fi chip in it so that we could connect to the internet, update it or download or pay, you know, 10 more bucks to get 10 more games or something and just continue that and and basically bring more games in as time goes forward. That would be really cool. I think that is a feature that is something that they've probably looked at and the logistics around it probably don't line up. But anyways, that's the PlayStation Classic. I mean, I'm kind of like on the fence, right? Like I'm really, well, part of me is really excited for this, but others like, I'm not getting that. Like that's a lot of money, dude. I don't know if I want to get that. So uh, this is kind of a side question of the week. Uh, we'll leave the other question of the week. Um, it, actually, the question of the week is related to this, but I'm going to save it to the end of the show. Uh, are you going to be picking up the PlayStation Classic when it comes out? Is this something you're interested in? Let me know in the comments or message me on Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you think of that. Okay, let's move on. we got to move the show on the road. What? Let me check. Bear with me. Okay, we are at about 35 minutes, so still doing okay for time. Okay, moving on to the next story. Telltale Games has closed. So uh, I'm reading this article from Ethan Gok, I want to say, uh, from Kotaku. It's titled, Telltale Employees Left Stunned by Company Closure, No Severance. Uh, so this is, bear with me here, this is a lengthy article um, please take the time to listen to this portion. I think this is the most important story of the show. And so, um, yeah, listen to this article. It, it touches on a lot of important points in this story. So Telltale Games employees were surprised when CEO Pete Hawley announced that announced the closure of the company at a staff-wide meeting. One employee, a source told Kotaku, had been working until 3 a.m. the night before with no inkling that the studio was about to let them and over 200 other employees go, leaving behind a skeleton crew of 25 to finish off work on the final project, um, Minecraft Story Mode, according to Variety. The suddenness of the meeting at the company's San Rafael, California headquarters was described to Kotaku by a former employee who was there but wanted to remain anonymous. As they pursue looking for work elsewhere in the video game industry, the timing was just one of the meeting's unwelcome surprises. The head of human resources dropped another bombshell to the audible shock of Telltale employees. There would be no severance. Those laid off were encouraged to begin applying for unemployment as soon as possible and were told their health benefits would run out at the end of the month. Just nine days later, According to a source, 
and to social media postings by ex-developers. They had 30 minutes to leave the building. The lack of severance, a detail that began circulating on Twitter shortly after the shutdown, was one of the bitterest details in a game studio collapse that has sparked outrage and sympathy among those who play and make games. Telltale had been around for more than a decade and was in the midst of rolling out a new episode of its signature series about The Walking Dead. Episode 2 of a supposed 4 planned for release tomorrow. Uh, actually, I think it'd be today when you listen to this uh, is when episode two is coming out. The rationale for f- failing to pay out severance provided by Holly, according to Kotaku source, was that this was a business closure rather than partial layoffs, like the 25% downsizing that hit the studio last November. A California law, the California the Cal Warren Act requires employees provide 60 days notice for mass layoffs, but allows some exceptions that could have applied to Telltale. That wasn't much consolation, however, to the people who had been working long days leading up to Friday. While the source knew the company's future was in question, they never suspected the end was so close at hand. By the time they got back to their desks, their work Google accounts had already been disabled. This is a quote. None of my sleepless nights or long hours on weekends trying to ship a game on time got me severance today, tweeted now former Telltale character artist Brandon Kabenka. In the hours following the meeting, oh sorry, in the hours following the meeting, don't work overtime unless you're paid for it, y'all. Protect your health. Companies don't care about you. Another ex-employee said that they wish they'd taken more vacation time while they were still had a job. All I want right now is the rest for a is to rest for a couple days, they tweeted. But since we got no severance and our insurance expires at the end of the month, I don't have that luxury. Neither employee provided further comment. Emily Grace Buck, a lead designer of on several Telltale games, including its most recent one, The Walking Dead, the final season, spoke publicly about how long hours were customary at Telltale. It's true, we usually worked 50 plus hour weeks, sometimes 70 to 80. Weekends were often expected, she wrote. We were constantly understaffed. Deadlines were ludicrously tight. Our schedules were so close, we went from one crunch directly into another. Episode 2 of the final season was originally slated to release this week on September 25th, and Kotaku has already received a preview code for it. Telltale has not confirmed that the game will still come out on the same schedule, but it seems likely according to sources reached by Kotaku. Melissa Hutchinson, Hutchison, sorry, voice actor for Walking Dead, Clementine wrote in a statement, to my knowledge, they will release episode two and then that will be it. She also gave her condolences to everyone at Telltale, right? I've met and made some of the very best friends I will have in this life. And that is priceless. I'm in a weird place as lead episode designer, Buck wrote, because I want you to play it. At the same time, she pointed out that the companies don't make games, the people who work at them do. And now the team who made episode two won't be around to benefit from the success it might find. The team did awesome work, pushed boundaries, and I want you to see it. Send us off on a high note, but I'm not going to tell you to buy it. Um, Sorry, I lost my place here. This disconnect between the commitment of Telltale employees to the studio's grueling project deadlines and the sudden way in which the studio severed that relationship has inspired a renewed Sorry, a renewed debate within the video game industry and gaming community about crunch, workers' rights, and unionization. Game Workers Unite, an activist organization that seeks to unionize the video game industry, put out a scathing, scathing, oh, jeez, I don't know. I can't say that word ever. 
letter on Saturday in response to the circumstances by which Telltale's employees were let go. The executives at Telltale are incompetent, they are exploitive, they knew that this was coming and failed to warn anybody, the letter alleged. Uni ah, I can't say that word either. Unionization can't fix Telltale after the fact, but it could have prevented so much of the damage to countless workers' lives by ensuring benefits like severance pay and healthcare that last from job to job. According to Buck, at least one employee had joined Telltale only one week before the closure and had relocated across the country to do so. Man, that's crazy. Another was a foreign national in the country on a work visa who must now leave within a few days. While none of those laid off are being given severance, contract workers who weren't full-time won't even be able to collect unemployment. Telltale Games did not respond to multiple requests for comment. During the Friday meeting at which the company's closure was announced, Holly blamed the studio's fate in part on recent seasons of The Walking Dead not meeting sales expectations. According to the anonymous source present who spoke to Kotaku, Holly echoed this sentiment in his public remarks later in the day in which he said that though the studio had released some of its best games in 2018, that had not translated into adequate revenue. Following the financial and critical success of The Walking Dead Season 1 in 2012, Telltale had grown and become begun working on an increasing number of, of licensed games, including The Wolf Among Us based on Fables Comics, a Game of Thrones adaptation, the Batman Telltale series. This increased workload under the leadership of studio co-founder Kevin Brunner led to increasingly difficult working conditions, which The Verge reported on at length earlier this year. According to The Verge, teams would work overtime to meet development milestones, something Buck also corroborated in her tweets, only for their work to be um, derided... Der, der, too big a word for me. Derided in review meetings with Brunner, who would go on to require heavy reworks without adequately revising the development schedule to provide more time. Holly, formerly at Zenga, replaced Brunner in September of 2017. One of his first major acts was restructuring period that, that month, which resulted in 90 employees being let go that November. At the same time, morale among the development teams apparently improved. A source told Kotaku that following Brunner's departure, projects stayed on track more frequently and shipped in a form that more closely resembled what had been decided and agreed upon during the initial planning stages. In a statement released last Friday, Brunner said he was saddened by the loss of people's jobs and the studio he helped create. He also touted his own leadership. Prior to my leaving, we were able to avoid sweeping layoffs and somehow managed to ensure that we always had work for everyone, he wrote. We worked hard and sometimes it seemed like we had more than we could handle, but we stuck together and forged ahead. Brunner is currently suing Telltale for what he claims was its interface, inter, sorry, interference in the sales of his holdings in the company after being forced out. Um, let me see how much, this is a, a long article. Um, okay, yeah, actually, I'll continue because this is kind of cool. So in addition to feeling a frustration, regret, and in some cases, stories of exploitation that employees have posted online or shared in conversations with Kotaku, there has also been a tremendous outpouring of support on social media for the people affected. Two hashtags have circulated on social media following the news, hashtag telltale jobs and hashtag telltale memories. The first is filled with colleagues promoting one another's work and sharing postings for new jobs in the games industry. And the other has given former telltale employees and the fans of the games they created a chance to celebrate their past work. Some former employees have relayed interesting um, about how certain parts of Telltale Games can came to be. When we requested the animation for 
Rise turning off Hyperion monitors in Tales from the Borderlands, Episode 5, the requested animation was worded as, Rise flips off the monitors as he runs by, wrote narrative designer Molly... Jeez, Molly Maloney. What the team got back was literally Rise flipping the monitors the bird as he runs by, one of the series' funniest moments. Other Telltale employees have shared unofficial in-game animations they made just for fun, such as this one of The Walking Dead, blah, 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 you can't see it. Others talked about how much they loved the teams they got to be a part of at the studio and small memories of their time there. Um, did anyone post about the time that the trophy case at Telltale shattered from the weight of all the Walking Dead awards, wrote one former employee. I think only a small late-night cinematic team was there for it, closing up an episode of Wolf we decided it was an omen and went home soon after. Um, and then lastly, meanwhile, some players have used hashtag telltale memories hashtag to talk about what the games meant to them. Um, and here's one more quote. I found telltale games during a low point in my life. Season one of The Walking Dead actually helped me through the death of someone close to me. It taught me so much about acceptance and compassion. I've been a fan of every The Walking Dead season and Batman since. And that's the close on the article. Woo! It was a big article. I uh, I read it before the show, but I forgot that it. When you're reading out loud, it's a it's a whole another story there. So, so yeah, this is uh, really unfortunate news, really sad news. Um, as a consumer, my first reaction to it was um, selfishly, well, that sucks. I'm not going to be able to, you know, get any more like The Wolf Among Us season two, or I'm not going to get Game of Thrones season two. And then I, right after I had that thought in my head, I thought, you know what, Luke, take a step back and think things uh, a little more, more than just for yourself now. And I was thinking like, you know what, this immediately after, um, I was like, you know, this really sucks. Whenever a studio closes, that means that all those people that worked like as this article highlighted for endless hours and sleepless nights they worked on this art that something that they're very passionate and about and they just uh come into work one day and find out that they no longer have a job and the real nail in the coffin is the fact that they're not getting severance for so basically they just lost their jobs and now they're unemployed and have no source of income and not even severance to tie them over until they can find new work. Not to mention that, you know, their benefits are gonna run out like within a week's time. That's crazy to me. Um, so this is, this sucks. Like this is a really crappy, crappy story. Um, I really feel for all those employees that got laid off. Um, I am saddened that uh, those people have to go through that. I know that this happens not just in the game industry, in uh, in jobs all across the world all the time, but it just, it really sucks. I think that needs to be said, that this is a, something that it, it, it should not be fair, right? It is not fair. It should not be allowed. Um, but unfortunately, that's how things are. And so um, I liked how the article finished off talking about how there's been some a lot of support online for the employees of Telltale, like, you know, you, you heard the hashtags there about people sharing their stories, um, both people who worked on the games as well as people who played the games and what the games meant to them. The Walking Dead Season 1 was the first time in my video game 
kind of career of playing games, I guess, that I was, I, I think that was the first video game I ever played that I actually cried at the end of the game. If you're not familiar with the Walking Dead series, I highly recommend you go and check it out. Um, yeah, Telltale Games did a really good job at pushing a very strong narrative. They had really great stories, really great characters, and they brought a new genre to gaming. Uh, they basically brought storytelling to the the platform of video games in a in a new kind of way. Sure, the mechanics of the game aren't very exciting. You're not doing much. It's a click and point kind of game, but that's not the the focus of the game, right? The focus is the the stories and the characters and the interactions with those stories. So anybody who is a, a naysayer on video games, I I recommend to them that they should check out some of these telltale games because it can show you how video games are just another platform for storytelling and how in-depth video games can be right when people really devote to building characters and building emotions for those characters and creating conflict for those characters it's telltale did a really good job at that and um it's really unfortunate that those people who created those stories now just lost their jobs. The cool thing that I will mention is that a lot of studios, of course, have showed their support. Ubisoft San Francisco sent out a tweet basically stating that, hey, uh, all Telltale employees come by this bar, restaurant, or whatever here on Thursday and let's have a chat. Let's talk. I want you guys to, to meet you guys. I want to know who you guys are. Um, we're looking at uh, bringing some of you guys on board. Um, so that's cool. That's what happens generally when a studio closes is uh, other studios open up their doors and try to bring those talented individuals into their their place to work. So that's the story. I, I highly recommend that you, uh, you follow some of those hashtags and see what they have um, because there are uh, some cool stories that I read on Twitter of some of the memories from the people got from the Telltale game. So yeah, crappy, crappy story, but a really important story from the past week that I wanted to talk about. And then moving on, two quick stories, and then we're going to end off the show. Death Stranding, Kojima brings down the house at TGS 2018. So this is from Ezra Krabbe. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, from IGN.com. A special guest on Sony's stage brought a fitting climax to Tokyo Game Show 2018. Toward the end of the last day of the show, Hideo Kojima appeared on the PlayStation stage to talk about his highly anticipated game, Death Stranding. If anything, the stage event was a reminder that Kojima is just a, as much of a phenomen, uh, phenomenon, phenomenon in his home country as in the West. Literally thousands of fans gathered in front of the PlayStation stage, stretching all the way to the back of the... Uh, the venue and roared with delight at every new announcement and a new minute long trailer. This was by far and away the largest gathering of the four day event. Appropriately, the first comment Kojima made when appearing on the stage was, I can't believe how many people came. IGN Japan's TGS livestream studio was in the balcony overlooking the show from the back of the hall directly opposite of the PlayStation booth and reactions from the crowd were loud and clear as we tried our best to continue our interviews as best we could. Um, 
So when asked about the current development status of Death Stranding, Kojima said that at the moment we're in the phase where I'm holding the controller the whole day, embedding new elements while playing the game. Kojima indicated that this means development has surpassed the phase where he looks at what individual staff members are doing and is now looking at how the project is coming together as a whole. Development is going well, he said. It's a completely new game, things are going according to plan, but there's one thing. Due to the video game voice actor strike by labor union, SAG, dash AFTRA that started in 2016 and lasted a year, I couldn't record with Norman Reedus and Mads Mikkelsen during that period, so there are some parts we are still recording. The mysterious Golden Mask character who appeared in for the first time in the new trailer will be modeled on Troy Baker, who performed the voice of Revolver Ocelot in Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain. Kojima gave away an easter egg in the new trailer. When he takes off his mask and pushes it to the ground, men appear out of the mud. I'm one of them. I should be able to recognize one character who's wearing glasses, so that's me. So, fun little tidbit. Uh, Hideo Kojima is a easter egg in a lot of his own games, so that's funny that he's mentioning, yeah, I'm in this one too. One more new character was announced. Kojima explained that this character will be the captain of the organization to which Rita's character and protagonist Sam belongs. The skull mask character is modeled on actor Tommy Earl J Jenkins in Japan. He will be voiced by Akio At Atsuka, who was the Japanese voice of Snake in the Metal Gear Solid games. Atsuka made an appearance on stage and uttered the fan favorite line, Kept you waiting, huh? eliciting a huge response from the crowd. According to Kojima, the new character will play a central role and has the second largest number of lines after Sam. Two years ago, Kojima also appeared on stage at TGS. At that time, he told the audience that the game would be released before the setting of classic anime movie Akira, which was set in 2019. When asked about this at TGS 2018, Kojima reacted by saying, which Akira do you mean? Joking that he had already forgotten his statement. However, after that, he reassured fans that no changes in the release schedule for the game have been made yet. An official release date of Death Stranding is yet to be announced. So uh, just basically, I just wanted to highlight that new trailer that was released on uh, at Tokyo Game Show. Go over on YouTube and watch it yourself. Actually, I posted it on the Games Are Fun Facebook page for you guys to watch. It's like a minute and a bit long. And yeah, I'm super excited that Troy Baker is going to be another cast member on Death Stranding. You know, you have Mads, you have Norman Reedus. That's really cool. Troy Baker is obviously one of the best games, best names in video games. Um, he does a lot of characters. Uh, he has a huge career of voice acting. Um, obviously most notable for Joel in The Last of Us, um, as well as Samuel Drake in uh, the Uncharted series. Those are two big roles that he had on the current gen of consoles. And so, yeah, I'm really ex excited to see what this game is. Like, I still don't know. Um, I have lots of ideas and theories, but at the end of the day, I'm just really excited for whenever this game gets announced. And because the episode is going a little long, I'm going to save uh, the last story that I had planned for next week. So if you want to hear about a new game that is going to be coming out next year that is a spiritual successor to the Yakuza series, make sure you come back on the next episode to check out that. And then lastly, let's do the question of the week. Last week's question was, what do you guys want to see on the podcast? What are some future segments I could do for the show? Of course, I'm not going to give it away what you guys answered, but thank you to everyone who sent in their suggestions. I'm definitely going to put those plans in place and definitely release episodes 
based on your guys' suggestions. But this week's episode question of the week is, what do you guys think of classic console releases? So we just did the story on the PlayStation Classic. What do you guys think of those types of consoles? Are you wanting to see more of them? Are you wanting to see some tweaks? Do you think they shouldn't be released at all? Um, should they have another approach to releasing classic games? I'd like to get your guys' thoughts and opinions on that. Um, of course, you can send in your answers to gamesarefunpodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And of course, you can also comment your answer in the comment section on whatever service you are listening to the podcast on. So that's this week's episode of Games Are Fun. Thanks everyone who came and listened to it this week. Uh, We'll be back with another episode as usual next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Until then, keep it it tight, boy. (laughs)